Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth. Well, hello, and thank you for joining us today. You know, getting along with your coworkers never a particularly easy thing to do, and these days it seems to be getting even more difficult. The U.S. has an election coming up, and that's proving to be pretty polarizing, to say the least. And as well, a number of other social and political issues are as well. Now, I'm based in Canada. We have listeners in many countries, but I'm not sure it's much different anywhere else, honestly. Even how to handle the pandemic seems to channel deep emotions in people. Now, we may be getting a tiny break from this and that we're not working physically together, but at the end of the day, we all still need to figure out how to work on teams, and that means getting around whatever differences we have. So I wanted to talk about all of that, and as it turns out, there are people who have given a great deal of thought on this and how to talk civilly with each other. My guests today are Nolan Finley and Stephen Henderson. Now, they're both prominent journalists from Detroit, but they're also the principals behind something called the Civility Project. They're going to talk about what that is, but in a nutshell, it's an attempt to help people opposing views come together and let them disagree in a healthy way. They do workshops on this because there's a lot of need for it, clearly. So stay with us. It's an enlightening discussion. Well, in a world where civility is in short supply, is there a way to keep our workplaces civil? Our guests today believe that there are ways to do that. In fact, there are concrete steps to get there. Nolan Finley is the editorial page editor of the Detroit News, and Stephen Henderson is the host of Detroit Today and the executive editor of Bridge Detroit. Together, they're the guys behind the Civility Project, and they join us now. Well, thank you both for being here. Thank you, Linda. Yeah, thanks for having us. Well, you know what? I want to know all about the Civility Project, but I always like to ask guests how they got to the place they are in their career. So maybe you could both take a moment to just give us the quick summary of how you got here. I guess alphabetically, I could start with Nolan. I I went wrong at every turn. (laughs) (laughs) No, you know, I've I've been at the uh, Detroit News since... 1976, I joined as a copy boy, and I've just kind of worked my way, way up o- over the years, been editorial page editor for about the last 20 years, and uh, uh, I guess that would be about it. I'm out of Wayne State University, a Detroit school, so. Um, yeah, so so I'm a Detroit native, uh, grew up here, went to the University of Michigan, started my journalism career as an intern at the Detroit Free Press, uh, went on to work at the Lexington Herald-Leader in uh, Kentucky, came back to the Free Press, then went to the Chicago Tribune, then the Baltimore Sun, uh, and then the Knight Ritter Washington Bureau, where I covered the Supreme Court uh, for five terms. And then came back to Detroit uh, as deputy editorial page editor and then editorial page editor. <clears throat> um, and while I was doing that work, I also started out in uh, public radio and public television. And uh, now uh, that's what I do, um, you know, full time uh, uh, public radio and public television. And we launched uh, Bridge Detroit, which is a nonprofit local newsroom here in Detroit uh, earlier this year. And you guys are giving lessons in how to be civil. 
Tell us how that came about. <laughs> well, it grew out of our, our own experiences. Steve's a, a progressive. I'm a conservative. And, and the, given our similar roles at the newspapers when, you know, when, we, when Steve first started here a decade or so ago, uh, people like to put us together and, you know, pair us off in a point counterpoint and, you know, expected us to fight and, and, you know, entertain, I guess. And over time, we, we learned that we could have very vigorous conversations and still be civil and still remain close friends. And, uh, you know, that surprised some people. And we started, uh, you know, started thinking about it, started putting, putting groups of our own friends together uh, in social gatherings where people could safely talk across the political, their political divides. And a year ago, we got to thinking, you know, 2020 is going to be a very difficult year for civility. And Delta Dental Plans of Michigan, Indiana, Ohio came to us and asked us to put together this civility project where we taught talk to groups of people uh, and sort of coach them through the process of learning to discuss difficult issues uh, civilly. Uh, yeah, um, you know, we, uh, Nolan and I, like you said, have been working together for about 12 years and we've been friends uh, over uh, all of that time as well. And I think one of the things that, that started to really stand out to us was uh, that, that as the world around us got more bitter and more divided, um, you know, the, the, the ways in which we were able to maintain uh, a dialogue across uh, those differences uh, seemed an opportunity to kind of share that with other people, to, to, to help uh, others figure out how to, how to do that. Um, and so one of the kind of key moments for us was when we went to record a StoryCorps session. Uh, NPR StoryCorps came to Detroit and uh, Nolan and I went down there to talk about the relationship between the two of us. And we talked about where we get our ideas from, our backgrounds, and how we come to be on opposite sides of uh, the political fence. Uh, and it was a really instructive moment for, for both of us, I think, in terms of valuing uh, more than just what somebody believes, what their politics are, uh, and recognizing that the ability to to talk across that divide is more important um, than winning the point in an argument or uh, making the other person sort of feel uh, bad or embarrassed about what they believe, that, that the ability to exchange ideas was really critical and that we wanted to, to, to talk to lots of other people about how to do that. And Linda, we start with the premise that um, everybody comes to their opinions by the same process. Uh, they take the information, the, the facts, apply their own experiences and values to it, and come up with an opinion. Uh, if their opinion is different than yours, it doesn't make them evil. It doesn't make them, you know, bad Americans. It doesn't doesn't make them anything except people who have perhaps lived a different life and experienced life differently than you. Now, you mentioned politics. Obviously, that's one of the things that's dividing people these days. 
but in workplaces, there's a lot of things that people disagree on. Right. How do you relate this to workplaces? Well, I mean, the, the easiest thing to do, I guess, in a workplace or the natural instinct, let me say it that way, is to just tell people, don't talk about politics, don't talk about this, don't. But you know people are going to talk about all those things. And so in a workplace, uh, I think it's no different than, than, than any other setting, is that the first step is to establish trust uh, before you start conversing about difficult things. Get to know people. As Steve and I just, just said, you know, get to know where people are, are coming from. Understand uh, who you're talking to and, you know, enter the conversation honestly with the goal of exchanging ideas, learning something, uh, testing your own positions, whatever it is, that's, you know, enter with an honest goal and don't enter with this idea that I'm going to convert that other person or I'm going to beat that other person. I'm going to really make them look like a fool. Uh, you know, go into it uh, in the right spirit. I think you can avoid some of the the hurt feelings, some of the anger, some of the misunderstandings that often come out of workplace conversations. Well, newsrooms are places where tem- tempers get raised, right? Yeah. I've worked in newsrooms as well. Uh, people have strong opinions. How much they are you sure able to apply even in, in those environments? Not about politics, but just in general. Uh, I'm sorry, can you repeat the question? Well, people get angry about all kinds of things, politics, but they argue about all kinds of things in newsrooms and outside of newsrooms. Are you able to apply this thinking to those situations? Yeah, oh, sure. I mean, so one of the things we talk about when we talk about civility, one of the first things I should say we talk about when we talk about civility is the ability to listen, to actually listen to somebody who you're maybe having a debate or an argument with. And when we use that word, we mean something a little different than I think uh, a lot of people think of. I think most people believe that if they're not talking, that they're listening. Um, But of course, I think a lot of us experience that in a in a different way that that while someone else is talking we're in our head about what we just said or about what we think or we're judging what they're saying as they're saying it as opposed to trying to really hear where they're coming from and and understand what they're talking about uh in the civility project we really sort of stress this idea of active listening really listening to the other person that you're engaged with and trying to see the the subject that you're talking about from their point of view, really trying to relate to what they're what they're talking about. Uh, of course, trust is a big part of that. You need to have trust established before you can really do that. But you also need to to kind of practice that active listening. And and look, I'll be honest. Uh, there are times when I'm talking with Nolan or arguing with Nolan uh, or other people, and I catch myself doing that, not really listening. To what they're saying and and being more inside my own head, uh, I think whether you're talking about politics, whether you're talking about anything in the workplace, especially uh, that that uh, that active listening is one of the first key ways that uh, that you can actually have a productive and civil exchange. And Linda, I describe it as you know a conversation is not a competition. Uh, you know, a, a conversation is designed to uh, 
grow and learn and create, uh, you know, interchanges on on ideas. And, you know, you're not out there to win anything. You're out there to grow. So you do workshops on this and you go into different organizations, right? Can you give us an Mm -hmm. example of how you've worked with a group to make things better? Well, I mean, we we started this um, actually uh, the first, the very first test ones were done on um, on uh, during the Detroit Regional Chamber Conference's annual uh, gathering on Mackinac Island, and uh, the, that's where we did our first one. And what we asked people do to do before we ever sat down to talk is to pair off. And there were probably about eighty people who paired off in two person you know, face-to-face meetings, uh, people who didn't know each other and people who, for the most part, were different from each other. And we asked them to pair off and talk about who they were and to build that trust and then to start asking questions of each other. And, and you know, we had these people come then and sort of talk about what they learned and how it went. And, you know, the one that sticks with me the most and uh, I always come back to is these two women who, were neighbors um, uh, and had been neighbors for 10 years or more. And every morning they'd get up and walk with each other. And they knew they were from different points on their, the political scale, you know, the, the political aisle. And they had avoided any sort of controversial, any sort of political conversation for all of those 10 years. And when they sat down and, and, and as a result, they had made some pretty, um, inaccurate assumptions about each other and why one was a Republican and one was a, a Democrat. And when they actually sat down and started talking about the reasons they voted the way they did or felt the way they did, they got a, a, a whole new understanding of each other. Uh, and instead of making assumptions, they were able to sort of continue the relationship based on, on accurate information and facts. Yeah, and we also had a number of public officials who participated uh, in that, and and one pairing was with a the Democratic leader of a suburban commission and the Republican leader of that commission, and it was really interesting listening to them. I mean, these are people who have these debates all the time, uh, find themselves on the opposite side of issues all the time but had never really sat down and talked with each other about where those ideas came from. And, and once they did that, you know, it's not like waving a magic wand and all of a sudden there was no dispute between them. But I I think the understanding that they had of what the nature of those disputes are, what the Genesis of those disputes are, was, was much clearer to both of them. And, you know, in that context, uh, that's the kind of thing that can lead to actual productive work uh, in government, where, whereas the, that that lack of understanding, I think, uh, ends up being the reason that things just uh, they can't get done. People see uh, their their political rivals as uh, as absolute opposites who they just can't understand and can't relate to. Um, you know, this exercise really gets people to see. The, their their political opposites as more than the sum of their politics, as more than the sum of of their points of view, uh, 
and, and it allows you just to, to, to be able to relate to people a lot better. Do you think that in companies and organizations, whenever it, there is a realization that people need to get along better, or are we still at a point where it's like, just do your work and we'll worry about everything else later? Oh, I mean, you only have to look at what's been happening over the, the last uh, uh, year or, or a couple of years where how many HR issues we've had because people have said inappropriate things in the workplace that perhaps they didn't know was were inappropriate or they've gotten angry exchanges in the workplace and hurt someone's feeling this is a constant HR issue and yeah you know people should do their job but as we said in the beginning people are going to talk about the the news of the day they're going to talk about uh, politics and other contentious issues and they've got to learn to create that safe, respectful space that they can talk in um, rather than, you know, creating this sort of gotcha uh, attitude where someone's just waiting to pounce on someone else for getting something wrong. And I think if, if people can learn to have uh, respectful conversations and, you know, depending on the workplace, I guess the environment would, would determine how passionate those uh, discussions could get because, because sometimes they do get passionate and that's okay. But, you know, if, if you can teach people to have those conversations and then walk away still friends and respecting each other, I think you, you, you have a more productive workforce you know, I'm uh, not in the U.S., I'm in Toronto, and we have listeners and guests from Europe and Australia and lots of other places. So the politics are maybe different, but at the same time, the workplace conflicts I hear about are the same. So I'm wondering, is it politics that are dividing people? Are people so angry and stressed at work that politics just becomes one more thing that divides? <laughs> uh, that's actually a great question. Uh, I, I would say it's both, you know. Uh, the 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 number of things that confront people in their lives right now is just is just staggering i mean you if you think of this year and all of the really complicated issues that that you know you just encounter when you wake up and get out of bed um you know it, it's a lot and and the combination of those things and then having to go to work or having to make political decisions, you know, all of that stuff crowds in and it becomes the way that, uh, that you sort through these things. Um, and, and so I think what we're seeing is that life, uh, and the difficulty and complexity of life, uh, not just in America, but, it, but in, in countries all across the globe this, this year, especially, has really crowded into uh, spaces of work and into our politics, and it's made both of them harder to navigate uh, every day for people. As well as this whole work-at-home environment has really uh, you know, put a damper on building personal relationships. Uh, uh, right now, most of our interactions with our coworkers are strictly business. We get on a Zoom call, and it goes off at the um, you know prescribed time, and there's not the oh you know how's your mother how's uh, how are the kids doing where's uh, you know where's your son going to college there's not those personal social exchanges so you're not getting to know people as well 
on a personal level. We've hired people over the past year that I haven't even met yet in person. All my only contact with them is through uh, an electronic meeting. And I think that has an impact on a workplace because you're not building loyalty and closeness and you're not having those creative collisions where you run into each other and, uh, oh, I've got an idea. Uh, let's discuss. I, th- you know, I think this year has, I, I, I don't know that we can measure yet how much it has changed the workplace for better and worse. Yeah, I was going to ask that when we come back to work, and not everyone will come back to a, a physical workplace, but some will. Will people be more civil because they're glad to see each other, or will this just have added to their stress? You know, I hope people will be more civil. You know, you hope that that this kind of crisis reminds people of the the absolute fragility, uh, not just of relationships, but 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 of life, and that you know we'll all be glad to get back to some form of of normalcy. But but I think my fear is that you know the pandemic itself and the great sort of political divide that that has not opened up during the pandemic, but I think ha- has been highlighted by it, you know, it, it's going to make it hard to set those things aside when we go back to work. Uh, I think they are going to change the workplace mm-hmm. fundamentally in, in, in physical space, the way that they have changed the workplace in virtual space so far. And so I think people have to be really prepared for, uh, a, a different kind of interaction and a different kind of framework for those interactions uh, in in offices uh, once they once they reopen. I don't know that that it's reasonable to expect that, that everything's just going to snap back to to together and and everything will be okay. And they're going to have to reset boundaries too. Right now, most of our interactions are in very small circles of people we're very familiar with, either family or friends. Uh, once they get back in the workplace, they're going to have to reestablish boundaries. And, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, what conversations are appropriate to have and what aren't. And, uh, you know, you, you are going to have to learn the environment anew, I believe. Yeah, I think it'll be pretty interesting because I keep hearing from people that they have new agendas going back. They've learned things and they have different priorities. And that'll be uh, kind of challenging when they're back to working on their old teams. So will you change your offerings post-pandemic? Do you think there'll be a different need? You know, I think it works. Um, the basic premises and the basic tips that we offer work no matter the environment. And uh, we've We've spoken to from everything last night. We did a session for college students, uh, and you know we've done that for all all the way up to we've spoken to retiree groups. So, you know, I think they're applicable uh, regardless of the situation. Yeah, I think I think you know we we live in this time again where there's this incredible complexity to the world, and and it's just gone up by orders of magnitude in the last six or seven months, um, there isn't any part of our lives that's unaffected by this. You know, your your the people you go to school with or the people you go to church with, the people in your neighborhood, the people in your workplace, everybody's being affected by the same things. And and the way we relate to each other 
uh, in those spaces is also going to, to, to be affected. So this idea of learning how to listen better, learning how to place more value on exchanges with people who don't necessarily agree with you, you know, that's all going to be really valuable stuff, uh, no matter where you're going back to uh, when the world kind of comes back together. Do you, you mentioned intergenerational, you actually mentioned different generations. Do you see intergenerational conflict as part of this, or is it mostly within people's own cohorts? Well, that's a good question. We haven't really explored that much. Uh, you know, I don't know that there's any area in our world today uh, that where there's not conflict. So um, certainly, you know, there seems to be a good deal of resentment between millennials and boomers, for example, and a lot of really inappropriate, hostile language going on between the two yeah. groups. And I can see how that would play out in the workplace. Yeah, and also on, I keep hearing there's different priorities in terms of things they care about. Uh, often you'll see on social media that younger generations think there's not enough emphasis placed on climate change, and that's you know as bad as the pandemic, but it didn't get the same attention. Uh, I wonder what it would look like post-pandemic. Hmm. There's all different uh, points, uh, potential friction points. So, you know, looking forward, what are the things you'd like to see in general, but in workplaces too, to make it everyone more civil in general? I mean, for me, it's 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 pretty basic. I would love to see stop make people stop making assumptions uh, about how they feel towards someone based on that person's politics, viewpoints, opinions. Uh, Steve and I get hate letters every day. The most vile hate emails and, and letters from people who assume uh, things about us based on what we write and say in public. And I would just, uh, I just love for people to take the time to get one another and to know one another before they assume they hate each other based on their politics. Yeah. I think that reaching out um, uh, is, is really critical and it's hard to do under normal circumstances, it's even harder to do now because of the physical restrictions uh, that that we all live under. But but we we really do need people to to be open minded to the idea that this is possible. This is not some nebulous idea that's just kind of out there. That that um, it, it's really possible and within your grasp to to build an actual relationship with somebody who you disagree with and that doing that not only makes it easier to talk about uh, politics or, or or culture or any of these other things but it also makes it easier for you to think all of those things through i mean nolan and i talk all the time about how you know n- neither one of us has much hope of convincing the other that we're right and they're wrong and that's not even what we're trying to do but i i think the exchanges we have help inform both of our takes on on things in ways that uh, we wouldn't be afforded if we didn't have the relationship if we weren't able to talk to each other if we weren't able to argue we'd never see that other point of view that maybe alters the way that you think something through or 
gives you a new perspective to add to what uh, you're talking about. You know, that value, we need people to see that value and to pursue that uh, because uh, that's the way to, to, to get to, you know, productive solution making. Well, awesome. I hope that we do see some of these things come to pass. Nolan, Stephen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Lando. It's been fun. Thank you. Nolan Finley and Stephen Henderson are behind the Civility Project. Well, that's it for today. If you would like to know more about the Civility Project, please check out our show notes. You'll find some links on that and more about Nolan and Stephen. If you would like to connect with me, I'm on Twitter at at Relentless Eco. Now, if you like this conversation about the future of work, please take a moment to leave a review or rating wherever you get your podcasts. We'll really help people find us and keep the discussion going. Thank you again for listening. And thanks, as always, to Stokely Audio for audio production. To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to the workandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work and the Future Podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production.